As you find your seats, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the pew there. If you want to follow along that way, also the words will be on the screen as we continue part three of a sermon series called Missio Dei, uh, the mission of God, joining God in what he is doing. I thought it was very interesting yesterday. Uh, I read in the review section of the Wall Street Journal an uh, article by a guy named Ryan Burge. Uh, he describes himself as a pastor. Uh, he is also a professor of political science at Eastern Illinois University. And he wrote an article, Houses of Worship Shouldn't Mirror the Class Divide. Kind of interesting. Houses of Worship Shouldn't Mirror the Class Divide. And he says this, he says, Who's coming to church these days are the well-educated and the well-to-do Americans are more likely to attend a worship service than those who aren't as well-to-do or not as educated. And he really exhorts, he says, listen, we got to find diversity in the church. Uh, we really, the church should reflect diversity. And I think on the surface, I'm like, yeah, man, I totally agree. Uh, for those of you who know me, uh, know that for a while, uh, the desired church that I would long to have is a Ross Dress for Less church, or a Ross church, because Ross, that, that store, when I go there, I see people of color, I see people who look like they have money, people who die, I see everybody at Ross. Everybody seems to go there. I think, man, this should be the church. I mean, it should look like who we are, because at the end of the story, when we get home, we're going to see every tribe, tongue, nation, people, group. It's going to be beautiful of what God is calling to himself. Uh, so on the surface, I totally agree. He would go on to say that these statistics probably don't surprise you. Back in 1972, just 5% of the population said, hey, we have no religious affiliation. 72, 5% said, hey, we have nothing. Well, that number has increased to 30% in 2021. It was saying we have no religious affiliation. He said, according to Burge, uh, in the church in 1978, if we were back in the 70s and we were in church together, they said uh, that typically a white church would have 50% Democrats and 40% Republicans. Uh, today, statistics say that that number is more of 60% Republicans. And so what his article suggested that churches need to follow the example, and he tell, talks about a church outside of Chicago called Ravenswood Covenant Church. And what they do is they, they host a farmer's market, a weekly farmer's market. They bring in live band, and they have activities for the kids, and it really creates this social connection. They say, man, that's what the churches need to do. Now, hit pause. You know, we have a fall festival. We have things where we try to be a blessing to our community as well. And he goes on to say, let me quote him. He says, they create space uh, for people to get to know each other. He's talking about this horizontal part of religion, not the vertical part. He says, if you do those things, they create space for people to get to know each other and create social bonds without any real agenda of time constrained. And then he says this, the theology can and should come later. Religious leaders need to remember the crucial role that houses of worship play in holding our society together. The future of American religion, and maybe American democracy, depends on it. Whoa, whoa. The future of American religion, the future of American democracy depend on it? 
I really believe that birds, although we had some interesting points, completely misses the mark of what we're here for the church. What houses of worship are primarily here to do, uh, not primarily here as a place that keeps America democracy held together. Uh, we are a place here, what? For the glory of our great God. We're his. We're here for him. For the good of our neighbor. Uh, we're here for our neighbors. And so it's interesting how he says, now secondarily, and many people think this way, theology comes second, right? What we need to do is practice, have the right practice first. It really, primary is what the church does. Church, good theology drives good practices and good policies. If you take away the theology, you take away God's word, and whoa, you never know where we are going to end up. Good theology, God's word, teaches us that God has always been on, since he created all things, on a mission to rescue sinners, to unite all things in heaven and earth through Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we live missio day. We live on mission for God because why? Our God is a God on mission. Our God is a God who delights in, in loving us and rescuing us and bringing glory to himself. As Christians, we need to know, this is so important, who we are or whose we are dictates what we do. We can't start off by saying this is what we need to do and forget the who and the whose. Because of the good news of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, we are forgiven, accepted, and beloved in Christ Jesus. Let that just penetrate into your souls. Remember, first and foremost, the good news of the gospel is what God has done for sinners like us and how he has made us not just clean and new in Christ Jesus, he's adopted us as his own. So God's word has called us to to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That, beloved King's Chapel, is good theology. Good theology teaches us love God with everything you got because he is so worthy. Love your neighbor as yourself. This should be the foundation of all we do corporately. This should be the foundation of all we do individually. This is the good news of the gospel. It should motivate us in all that we do. So again, this week we're in week three of this sermon series, Missio Day. Uh, we are joining God on mission for the world. That's, remember, we're not on our own mission. We join him, what he's already doing. What we've seen so far was the command to go. Uh, we looked at the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Mar Matthew, where Jesus says, hey, all power and authority has been given to me. So I'm going to tell you, my disciples, my followers, go. I want you to go and to, and to make disciples of, of all nations, no matter what they look like. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey all the things that I have given to you. And by the way, I will always be with you even to the end of the age. So church, what are we supposed to do? On mission, we're supposed to go, right? We're supposed to go and also make disciples. And then we looked at last week the power to be. The power to be is when Jesus uh, told his disciples and us in the gospel and Acts, Acts 1, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. First and foremost, who we are. We're his beloved children. We're those. We are, we are those in Christ. 
empowered by God's Spirit. And he says, I want you to be my witnesses. And remember, that's a really cool Greek word. It's where we get the word martyr. We want you to live your life, give your life for this mission. Christ gave his life so that we could be his. Uh, now he's given us a spirit so we can be empowered. And he says, you're powered to be, be his witness. And now we have this example to follow. And the example to follow we're going to look at is in this Good Samaritan story. Wow, what a story. There's two main uh, points we're going to make today. Missing the mark and the example to follow. Let's pick up the story. Uh, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, I'm going to read the Gospel of Luke's version of this. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, verse 10. I'm sorry, chapter 10, reading verses 25 through 37. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy and errant word. It'll never lead us astray. Hear the word of the Lord, church. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Story doesn't start very good, does it? A lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test. Wow. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers was stripped, uh, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he sojourned, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for this amazing story that you have given to us uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And God, we thank you for how this story reveals to us who Jesus is and what Jesus is asking us to do. God, in this story, we see a religious person who doesn't get it, who misses the mark. And God, around us, we see so many who claim the name of religion who seem to not get it and miss the mark. Oh, God, we don't want that to be us. We ask for your grace and mercy. We ask for your spirit to come and be teachers so that we understand your word. Oh, God, give us the ears to hear your voice. God, give us the minds that would understand your word in this story. God, give us the hearts that are soft and pliable in, in your hands that, that God, embrace this truth and God, empower our feet 
to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Oh God, speak through a broken sinner like me. God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, let those things fall away. But God, the things that are true and contain the gospel, oh God, build your church. Shape your people to be more like Jesus. May we go and do likewise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So you start off a little bit with a scene here, a little bit of the background. I mean, again, uh, many of you are probably familiar with the story uh, of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it's an amazing story. But for us to really understand, we've got to get a little bit more of the context. I mean, who it was that Jesus was interacting to and told the story. This whole story hinges on one's ability to see. I don't know if you picked it up or not, but each one of the men who walked down the road, the priest, uh, the Levite, uh, and the Samaritan, and they all saw, but only one was able to truly see. And so the whole story hinges on one's ability to see, to see Jesus rightly, the truth rightly. It also says there was a certain lawyer. Uh, what is a lawyer at the time? Well, it's an expert in the law. Specifically, this is Torah, God's law. And what does this certain lawyer do? He's got the audacity. He stands up to test Jesus. I mean, he's going to try to confront, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus. Uh, he stands up to, to test him, and he asks two disingenuous questions. It really reveals, he tips his hand, two self-serving questions. The first thing he asks is, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's testing Jesus here. He's asking, what must I do to make sure that when the, my life is over, I'm inheriting eternal life? And then he asks, who is my neighbor? And it says, interestingly, he was justifying himself. When he asked who his neighbor was, you know what he was asking, don't you? Who do I have to love? Who do I not have to love? Point out the ones that are lovable, Jesus, because who is my neighbor? So he's missing the mark. I mean, it's, 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 you could tell his posture misses the mark. You could tell his questions miss the mark. And this is a guy with a lot of knowledge. What he had is he had, he had knowing without understanding. This, this certain lawyer, I mean, he's like an expert in the law. He studied God's law, his Old Testament. Uh, he, he knew of God's word. I mean, he quoted it right, uh, the great commandment. He knew who Jesus was. I mean, he had that kind of knowledge. But he knew who Jesus was, kind of, but he stood up to challenge him. What did he call Jesus? Rabbi, teacher. He didn't refer to him as Savior. He didn't refer to him as Lord. He didn't refer to him as King. He didn't refer to him as Son of God. I mean, this was just a run-of-the-mill teacher. Teacher, tell me. And again, when you really know who Jesus is, you don't test him. When you really know who Jesus is, you submit to him. Uh, you bow to him. You, you, you love him. I, I love what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus, he says he's one of three things. You've probably heard me say this over the uh, years. Uh, Jesus is either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's a Lord. Well, let's talk about that with liar. I mean, Jesus made claims that he was God's son. He made claims that he was the long-promised Messiah. If he's not who he claims he is, he's a liar. And liars aren't good people. And they aren't people you want to follow and surrender your life to. Or he's a lunatic. People who think they're divine and aren't, they're lunatics. I mean, David Koresh, Jim Jones. I mean, those who say that they have some kind of deity that aren't, run from them. They're dangerous people, right? 
Um, so he's either a liar or a lunatic, or he is who he claimed to be to Lord. This is God's eternal Son in flesh. I mean, this is the long-awaited Savior. We don't stand to test him. We kneel before him. But not only did he know something about Jesus must miss him, he also knew the scriptures, but he didn't understand them. Um, he, first of all, he asked, what must I do to inherit as if eternal life was something that you can do or something, a birthright that you're born into? What can I do to inherit eternal life? You know, the book of Habakkuk, even in the law that he would have studied, Habakkuk 2.4, says the righteous live by faith. That's really amplified in the New Testament. Paul makes it so clear. It's always been God's way that way. How are we saved? By God's grace, through faith, not of works, not what we do, so no one could boast. The work we must do, what is the work that Scripture says we must do? You ready for this? Believe. That's the work. The work has been done for us by Christ. He's the one who fulfilled the law. Man, all we do is break it. I mean, he is the one who has done all the Father has asked that we have failed to do. I mean, what we do is, by God's grace, believe in faith that Jesus is the one who lived the life we, we failed to live. He is the atonement of God. He's the one that hung on the cross, absorbed the Father's wrath for our brokenness. He's the one who defeated death by uh, that empty tomb. I mean, we believe that he's the one, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's the hope. He's the Savior. Church, it's such good news. God never says just work harder or try more. He's not telling you that, that it's about you getting your act together so he could love you. The scripture and the good news of the gospel is of what Christ has done so that we are presented before the Father, holy and blameless in his sight. Only one is able to do what God has asked us to do, and he's standing behind, beside you know, hear the arrogance of this certain lawyer. What do I need to do? Man, you can't even come close. You can't even come close. And you're standing next to the one who, who can and is to inherit eternal life, not a birthright, but only through the only begotten son. So, so Jesus is going to ask him, okay, so how do you read the law? By the way, if you ever ask a lawyer how they interpret the law, they think that they're going like, to earn their money here, right? Let me tell you you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What should his response have been? Where do we see that he really missed it? His response, Jesus turns him to the law. And the law, Jesus does this a lot. Is he telling us that we got to fulfill the law to be saved? Heavens, no. He turns us to the law to realize, what, we're sinners. We failed. We, we didn't do it. I mean, so the lawyer should fall on his knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't done any of that. i got to be honest with you. I've never loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength once for a nanosecond. And I really don't love my neighbor as myself. Can you have mercy on me? But he wants to justify himself, so he said, who's my neighbor? He has knowledge, but he doesn't have understanding. He also has doing without loving. So this certain lawyer wants to justify himself. He's asking, who is my neighbor? What he's trying to do is lessen the requirements of God's law. He's basically saying this, who do I not have to love? What lives matter? What neighbors matter? Who matters? I don't know about you, but I tend to love those who look like me. I tend to love those who vote like me. I tend to have, uh, love those who, who act like me, have the values that I have. 
I mean, those are the ones that are easy to love, right? But what about the ones who don't look like us, vote like us, think like us, eat like us, dress like us, smell like us? What about them? Well, it's interesting to be reminded that God loves us, that we're very unlovable. God loves me. He loves you in Christ Jesus. And he says, by the way, God loves those who don't love him. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. doesn't say why you cleaned yourself up, but while you were sinners, I loved you. God loves those who aren't like him. Ephesians 2.3 says, by nature, we're children of wrath. That's not very lovable. God loves those from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I love the fact that when we get to the end of the story, that's who's going to be there. He loves them. It's going to, heaven's going to be filled with beautiful color and beautiful variety that love him. And what is he saying? Church, we got to love the Jew, the Gentile, the male, the female, the Catholic, the Baptist, the Pentecostal, the Muslim, the Mormon, the Democrat, the Republican, the Independent, the Black, the White, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Which are the ones we got to love? That's what he's called us to. You see, the point of the man who, who the Good Samaritan cared for and loved, this neighbor was unrecognizable. There's something beautiful and wise about what God does. He says, listen, a certain man, we don't know what kind of man he was. He was going down to Jericho. He was robbed and beaten and stripped. So what is it telling us? You can't identify this one. We don't know who he was. Was he a Jew? Don't know. Was he a Gentile? Don't know. I mean, who, who, what, what gang colors does he wear? I don't know. I mean, so Jesus in his beautiful wisdom is basically saying, you can't tell what this one is, but I want you to love this one. Wow. I mean, how, how amazingly beautiful is that reality? That we need to love the one who's unrecognizable. Why? Because God in his undiscriminating love loves you and me. Look at how God loves us. We are to love the image of God. Because every single person that you run into reflects God's image. And their worth is right there. You may argue like crazy that they don't think like you. You may argue like crazy that, they're, that they are crazy in the way they vote or the way they think or the way they live. And it may not be under God's blessing. I get that. But remember, people's worth is wrapped up in not their actions. It's wrapped up in their, the image that they bear, in God's image. And he tells us to love. Love those even who persecute you, Jesus says. Love your, your enemies. And remember, Jesus doesn't ask us ever to do anything that he's unwilling to do. He loved us when we were his enemy. And he'll continue to love us. Not only do we knowing without understanding what this guy doing without loving, he's seeing without feeling. It's interesting, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they all saw the man who was on the road. But only one saw with compassion. And who is this Samaritan? In the Bible, this is a half-breed. Jews didn't eat with him. They didn't like him. And what does he do? He bandages him up. He pours out oil and wine on his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He, he gives the innkeeper two days' wages. And he says, by the way, whatever he owes, I pay. I, I, uh, right out of college, I worked in New York City. And it was, uh, Katie and I lived in New Jersey. I took the train in. I, lived in, I worked in Midtown Manhattan. And it's interesting, as you walk around New York City, you can identify those that know the city and those who are tourists. I mean, it's like, you can, might as well have a sign on you, I'm a tourist, come ask me for money. I'm a tourist, come take advantage of me, because here they are, oh my gosh, this is great. 
You know, they're, they're walking like this, you know? I mean, a New Yorker walks like this. They don't want to look at anybody. They don't want to see anybody. They are in a hurry to get wherever they're going. And all they want to do is have you out of their way and not make eye contact. You make eye contact with somebody in New York City, look out. They're probably going to ask you for something, right? Um, and so it's terrible. You kind of learn the New Yorker way when you're there, you know? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a farm boy from upstate New York. You want to talk to everybody. But Christians, we can't be like those in Manhattan, that this tunnel vision, not looking around, seeing what's around them. Jesus asked us to see and feel. He says, listen, we have an example. This is it, the example to follow. The Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. He saw with gospel eyes. The Samaritan crossed the road to help him. The Samaritan tended to his needs with his own resources. It cost him something. The Samaritan sacrificed time and money to help those in need. But here's where the story pivots, and you can't miss it. You can only act justly when you know you're justified in Christ. You can only have knowledge and understanding when you know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Listen, you can only love deeply when you know that you've been loved deeply. You can only see with compassion when you realize that God saw you with compassion. So where do you see yourself in the story? You know, a story like this, what, what character are you? I mean, who do you see yourself as? We all want to be the good Samaritan. I'm the good Samaritan. You know how God sees you? You're the certain man. Beaten, stripped half naked, in absolute need. I mean, when we understand the story and we put ourselves rightly as that one in need, half dead. And we realize that who's the ultimate good Samaritan? The true and good Samaritan is Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is the one who, who sees with compassion. He comes and seeks to save the lost. Jesus is the one who does more than cross the street. He comes from heaven to earth to come get us. Jesus is the one who takes his resources. It's more than just oil and wine. It's his blood that he sheds for us. It's Jesus, the one who takes us back to the innkeeper, his father, and says, whatever debt they have, put it on me. I'm going to pay it all. And if they owe more, just keep putting it on me. I stand in their place. And I'm telling you, church, when we understand the story, and it's more than just go be a good Samaritan, when you understand the lavish grace that God has poured upon us and what Christ Jesus has done for us, and you realize I'm that certain man, your life's transformed. And all of a sudden, the gospel makes you alive. And, and you say, I want to follow. I want to follow because that's what Christ has done for me. He's clothed me. He's loved me. He paid my debt. And now i got to love my neighbor because that's me. You see, the whole point of that story is that we got to see, know, and love, and understand. It's not what we do to inherit eternal life. Jesus did it. We don't try to justify ourselves. Listen, church, we aren't justifying ourselves by coming to church and trying to do the right thing. Jesus is the just and justifier. We are declared not guilty because of what Christ has done. We are loved and accepted in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. It's so good news. We don't try to justify ourselves. We don't try to what we do. We look to Jesus, the good Samaritan. He saved us. Do you see yourself rightly in the story? If you do, you'll have gospel-empowered eyes. 
you'll see with compassion. How do you feel when you see broken, hurting people around you? Are you angry? Are you a little prideful? Do you say, get a job under your breath? I mean, do you, do you kind of disdain them? Just remember, that's not how Jesus sees us. Do you see with eyes of compassion? Do you see worthy as the one in need because they're an image bearer? Maybe they got themselves in trouble. Maybe they've done it before. Do you see that you're that certain man that needed God's grace too? Gospel-empowered feet that go. That's got to be us, church. we got to have feet that go across the street to those in need. We, we, we can't just stay here as a holy huddle. He's got us on mission. Jesus crossed the street to rescue us. we got to go as well. we got to have gospel-empowered hands that give. Give more than just a token, but to the point of true sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus has given to us. I mean, it's a crazy story. The guy not only went across the street, he used up his resources, he took him to an inn, he paid all it up, and he said, by the way, just keep the bill open. I got it. When you know that's Jesus, that's you. Story sings. Go and do the same, because Jesus has rescued you. This is true for King's Chapel as a whole and as us as individuals. Bird says in the Wall Street Journal that houses of worship shouldn't be divided by class. Amen. Why? Because the gospel tells us that God has reconciled all things to himself in Christ Jesus, his son, our Lord. And now he commands us to be people of reconciliation. That's good theology. Missio Dei. Amen? pray. Father God, thank you for the ultimate good Samaritan, Jesus, your son, our Lord. Thank you that he would leave his rightful home, do more than cross the street to come and seek and to save the lost. At great expense to himself, he took care of our needs. He bound us up. Scripture says that by his wounds that we are healed. We thank you for that reality. Father, forgive us when we're like that arrogant teacher that doesn't see you rightly and tries to be self-justifying. It just seems like we do that all the time. God, I pray that this church at King's Chapel in our lives, that, that God, the gospel of Jesus Christ would continue to transform us. That we would realize that what you required of us, Christ Jesus has done for us that we're saved by your grace through faith in the work of your son. That God, you would give us eyes to see, that you give us feet that go, that God, uh, you would give us hearts that beat for you, that we love you and never want to give up the call you have on our lives. God, we ask that you would empower us individually, that God, that you would empower us as a church to be faithful, faithful that this this house of worship god we do pray that it be incredibly diverse filled with jesus lovers from every walk of life that's what we long for that's good theology god would you do that in christ jesus and we pray this in his matchless name amen